Hi, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Humanity First. Today, we have a special guest who is our... Can I still say that you're new, Pam? Yes, Ah. please. (laughs) Our our new um, Chief Human Resources Officer, Pam Ryan. Nice to have you on the show. Thank you. So, it's been... How long? Six months? Six months. Six months. So uh, a reasonable time to get a, take the temperature of the organization. I thought it would be good if today we could talk about um, some of these buzzwords that go around sometimes. You hear this notion of organizations being preferred employers. You, uh, you hear about uh, creating a buzz here at BAMSI about wanting to work here. And what uh, the other one that I'd like to talk about is the uh, employee value proposition, this idea of what does a person who is applying to and actually works at BAMSI think about the relationship and the interaction between the agency itself and the people that work in them. Uh, and that's a big human resources question. Um, but let's begin by um, thinking about, you know, when I was thinking, thinking about the history of work, and I've said this at many an orientation, that when somebody comes to work for an organization, there are some basic things that should be in place that make the journey for that individual not just a job. Uh, and I often, I often say to people, we're not hiring somebody for a shift on a Thursday evening. It's much more profound than that. Um, and when I was a kid, um, you know, my father worked on the fish docks in a place called Hull. And, you know, on the doors was, a, it would say always, hands wanted. This idea of only the hands of an individual are useful to an employer. And even at that early age, I used to think, wow, what about the rest of the body? <laughs> um, and having that conversation about the whole person uh, and what an organization is willing to invest in that individual is the beginning of this employee value proposition as far as I'm concerned. I would agree with that. Um, I think years ago when we hired, we looked at just a job description. And a person came in, they had the qualifications, you hire them for the job. And as time progressed, there became this more of an interrelationship with the employer and the employee and how many hours a week? You know, we spend a minimum, most of us, you know, 40 to some upwards of double that at their job every week. So now who you interact with, what the environment is like, the values that they share, are we culturally diverse? Do we represent our communities? All of these things now matter. Mm-hmm. So especially with our younger people, when they come to work, they will ask in an interview now What is your culture like? Mm -hmm. Are you diverse? What do you value? Hopefully they've checked the website Mm -hmm. and they can at least read, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know, what our values are and know what our mission is. But it's not just a job anymore. This is where we live and breathe with each other. So it's not just hands anymore or beating heart. It is sort of that mind, body, spirit connection. Right. And, um, this is, in my opinion, a, a direction that we need to go in because it's the right thing to do, right? When you, when you work for an organization that is deeply steeped in your community, when 
your mission and your drive is to serve underserved populations, is to create environments that are conducive to people meeting their maximum potential, you're beginning to tell a story about more than an eight-hour shift, right? You're, right. you're beginning to sort of sell the idea, if you need to sell it, that, um, that people are belonging to something bigger than themselves, um, that, that has um, sort of in the social work world, we, we talk about people at work in mission, people who um, are interested in the greater good. And um, actually, we were talking a little bit this morning about COVID, and we, we should talk about that as well, how people's, um, people's cha- are changing their opinions about work. And so it's even more crucial that we create that, um, that argument, if you like. We create that scenario that, um, that there's a compact between the employee yes. and, and the organization, which is a two-way thing, right, which is an investment on both parts uh, 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 of the two parties and how does that best um, benefit the people that we serve. So in a way, it's this sort of of triumvirate, right, the person served the individual and the organization. Yeah, you know, when I think about, again, to reference times past, that compact is, is now very different I think. And, you know, people are, are looking for more equality in their employer-employee relationship, uh, an opportunity to have a voice and to not have mandates and edicts. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think everyone is fine with not agreeing necessarily with things that happen in, in a company, but they want to understand and they want to understand what their role is in and, you know, what is my job really doing? Am I, you know, pushing an object from point A to point B, but why do I push the object? And what impact does that have on the organization? And this is what's starting to really change dramatically. And COVID has definitely t- sort of peeled back another layer of people are looking at not just the environment that they work in and, you know, what does my work mean? But they're looking at how does it fit in with what I personally value. So if I truly value my family and I can never be with them because my my hours are, are this or there's not flexibility or my employer is extremely strict and stringent about certain things, they now have an opportunity to look at other employers who are willing to give them a little bit of flexibility. Mm. And so this is something that, for me, I think is a good thing. Um, I know there there are certainly entire businesses that would disagree with me, mm. and they want things to go back to the old construct. But I think the future is we're going to use phrases like work-life balance, but if we can't help create mm. an environment where it's okay to have that for people and it's not punitive or you're not deprived of opportunities for advancement or additional training or you know anything that makes your professional life better just because you try to balance it with your work life i think you lose and you lose great people so i'm looking forward to what this next new phase of rebuilding the new compact or construct looks like i think i think all of that applies uh and then there's more right there is what is the 
investment that um, that the organization wants to make in the individual and what's the investment the individual wants to make in them in themselves right. so we talk a lot about um, career progression here and we work in a place that has you know a couple of thousand people it has a hundred and you know ten programs and uh, hundred ten locations hundred and twenty programs there's all sorts of things that people can do here and at orientation it always makes me really happy when somebody says I'm a CNA or uh, but I'm in LPN school because right. it's the beginning of this story that we want to weave that means that you know, coming to work at Bamsey means that there are all of these little dots all over the place where, that you can sort of um, go towards uh, if you have an interest in that. And that as an organization, we're willing to put financial um, resources into making sure that the next step along that career path, path is possible for you within the agency. Right. And sometimes people leave for lots of different reasons, you know, especially with covid um, and people leave for opportuni uh, opportunities for promotion. But it's when they come back that I get really excited because it means that we've made an impression on somebody that was, I, I can be happy here. Yeah. I, I think that developing a real concrete, you know, succession plan is, you know, I, I think that people here certainly, they understand what jobs are available. But I'm not sure that we have been able to create that concrete plan for people. Unless somebody has been savvy enough to come forward to a supervisor who is equally as savvy and they're at a, I'm going to say, a maturity stage where they feel comfortable saying to their supervisor, okay, I've done this and I've done that, but I would really like to do this. Can you help guide me there, even if it means I leave you eventually? Mm -hmm. And that can be a difficult conversation. As positive as it is, it can be difficult. Mm -hmm. You don't want your employer or your supervisor to think you don't want to work with them or for them anymore, mm -hmm. but you really do need them to help support you. And, and I think that happens here, but I think we could do it in a more pointed way. And over time, you know, one of my sort of um, – big ideas is I would love to be able to move to a place where we not only have these, um, you know, vertical, horizontal, uh, lateral learning opportunities for people to move into so that they can ultimately get to their goal, but that we have career guidance counselors on staff where if you step in as a new hire just like you would at your freshman year, the first day of your freshman year in high school. You get to meet with your guidance counselor and talk about what your trajectory may or may not be and what classes. If I think I want to be this, a college prep, what do I have to do? If I'm business-oriented, what do I have to do? And really talk with people regularly about how they're going to get where they go. The other side of that also is that you know, mapping the employee engagement relationship with the supervisor so that, you know, they're having their touch-based meetings and they're asking a regular series of questions. And the last question you always ask everybody is, what can I do to support your professional development? Hmm. And then follow through. Yeah. If, they, if they say, well, nothing right now, yeah. but if they have an idea. And then if they're not sure about what their idea is, to be able to either say, you know what, why don't I put you in touch with that career counselor? You, it's time for you to have another conversation. Or 
let's bat around some ideas and be creative with that person. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I read or have read consistently over the years is that the number one reason why people leave organizations is their relation, their direct relationship with their supervisor. You know, the person and it's really they all they want is to have one. Yeah. <laughs> right. uh, but, but that rings true, I think, when you think about how the agency itself listens to the needs of the of the employees. If you're not having the conversation that you described so eloquently just now, mm-hmm. then how do we know where people want to be? We don't. And when people don't feel as if they're being heard about where they want to be, they find their way anyway. And usually that's outside of the agency. Right. Um, and that is an opportunity missed. And when we talk about recruitment and retention, which we talk about a lot because it is sort of an existential threat to organizations like, na- like ours nowadays, that you know, if we can't bring people into the agency and keep people in the agency, we're going out of business because our business is people. people. Uh, and so the beginning point of that is know your people, know what they want, know what they're interested in, you know, know what their kids' names are, right. um, and 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 create that relationship and that bond connects right through the ages. Usually, you know, an, an old HR statistic is that, you know, if you're looking at when you lose your staff, and if it's happening within that first 12 to 18 months, it is usually because they don't feel connected, and the supervisor has usually not been able to schedule those regular touch base meetings so that in the first 30, 60, 90 days, they feel like, okay, my supervisor knows I'm here. My supervisor knows what I'm doing. But my supervisor is also going to take time to help, you know, get that feedback from me. <clears throat> What's working for me? Am I, am I mastering what I should master at the 30-day mark? And can I carry those so that I can just keep building that stair step of, of engagement and knowledge? And if that doesn't happen, for whatever reason, and, and I certainly, like everyone else, everyone's busy. Mm-hmm. And, and we all know that things tear us in different directions. But I, I also genuinely believe and know from outcomes that if you're willing to make that time, even if it's a little bit of time, if that's all you can, can spare from your schedule, that you can automatically tick up your, or reduce, we'll call it, your tick up your engagement levels with your new hires, but reduce your turnover, that chance for turnover in that first 12 to 18 months. And it's that ability to unblock the system, isn't it? Yes. Um, and how and 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 that comes down to prioritization. I think that's it absolutely does. right. I don't. It does. You know, there are very few jobs nowadays. Maybe there are. I don't know about them. Where people sort of can, you know, do have enough time. There's never <laughs> enough time. No. And, it, and, and therefore, in our business, it has to come to how are we prioritizing um, what we do. Uh, and again, we're a human service agency that deals with people, that looks after people, that provides care for people. People pops up a lot. Uh, and so if you're not actually um, uh, paying attention and making sure that those lines of communication are open, conversations are happening about the future of that individual, um, then we're not really paying, paying attention to what our priorities are. And this could potentially fall into the category of how do, how do we assist with self-care? You know, part of any relationship takes two, two parties who are equally engaged. And, and so 
if we're talking about what self-care is, which professional self-care is making sure that I get what I need so that I advance in my career, making sure that I do have the tools that I need to be successful so I can feel good about being here every day. Mm-hmm. And that gives you energy and enthusiasm and, you know, all sorts of great things spring from having, uh, you know, look at Maslow's hierarchy. You, you need air, water. You need really some basic things and breathing just to be able mm-hmm. to step up to the next level. Right. And I don't think it's any different with us. We're all employees and, you know, I know that when I feel good about coming in because I'm, I can have a conversation with my supervisor about the things that are on my plate, things that, like, excite me or the things that frustrate me, it matters. And I walk away from that, that meeting feeling I've been heard. And that has mattered so much throughout the course of my career that the absence of that, I really almost cannot imagine what the absence of that would have been like yeah. for me. Yeah. You know, it reminds me of a time when I first came to this country in 1990, which seems like five minutes ago. <laughs> <me. laughs> um, it was. <laughs> and I was, uh, I was a child protection worker in Roxbury, and I walked into the office of the state of state government, um, and there was a group of people in the, in the, uh, the team that I was going to be in, and one of them looked up and said, what the heck do you want to work here for? <gasps> that was the first thing I heard when I came in. And it sort of reminded me, I was thinking about that the other day, uh, because I didn't really have a good answer to tell you the truth. But we get so many um, folks coming to work from us, to a, for us who are friends and relations yes. of people who already work here. Um, that word of mouth thing is so important. And if you have... Uh, a workforce that feels that their work is meaningful, right. feels that they're taken care of and um, respected and, and respected, heard, heard um, and their opinions are important to the yes. direction of the organization, then they're much more likely to say to their sister-in-law or whoever it is, you know, Bouncy's a good place and you've got the right qualifications for that, as opposed to saying, what the heck do you want <laughs> to use a different word from yeah. What the heck do you want to work here for? And um, I think that's another important cultural issue around what we want to create here at BAMS. Yeah. I, um, I don't think any of this is rocket science. But like all good habits, they have to be intentional. They have to be created. And they have to be followed through and kept so that over time you build a culture where people say they are consistent, they consistently ask me, they consistently care, they consistently want me to do well, and they're never, they don't ever give up on me, they don't ever stop, like a good parent, you know, I know in retrospect, I look back and I think, oh, I'm so grateful, my mom, she never gave up on me, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and sometimes I didn't want her to constantly ask me, how are you doing, what do you need, but in the end, I'm so grateful that she did. Mm-hmm. She wanted to listen. She wanted to understand so she could help me. And I think that's part of the relationship that yeah. we need to be intentional about yeah. with, with one another. Yeah, that's all about consistency and, and, and showing that you care. Yeah, your actions have to, to meet your words. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've pretty much scratch the surface of, <laughs> of what we're trying to do here and um, obviously we'd love to hear feedback about um, is that the experience that you're having here one of the things that we talk about here a lot is that communication 
improves organizations because we know where we need to work and that people's ability to say what's on their mind is the most important thing. So Pam, thank you so much for coming You're in You're welcome. Today. Thank you for having me. Take care.